This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, and welcome back to another Mandalorian Breakdown. Today we're going to cover episode 6 and a big shout out to everyone at the watch party last night. There were over 6,400 of you there, and I had a great time with you. However, I wish I could say the same about the episode. This one had me pretty disappointed, wondering why we got a side mission to a side mission of Bo, you know, originally trying to put together a Mando crew at the sixth of eight episodes for a season that we waited over two years to get. Now, personally, I don't really think this season has had all that much happen compared to, say, season two, which followed a concrete linear story outline. Anyways, we got a lot of stuff to break down. I can talk about it more at the end, so let's get right to it. We start this episode off where we ended the last one, which was with Bo now allowed to remove her helmet so she may be able to be the bridge between all of Mandalorian clans. As we see a Korn ship sail through space, we see Korn crew worried that an Imperial ship approaches them. Now this is Moff Gideon's ship, and it's being helmed by Axe Woves, who originally was running with Bo-Katan in Season 2. They were part of the Night Owls. And of course, the other former Night Owls are with him, Koska Reeves and a few others. I think they were given this ship by Moff Gideon, either because they're in cahoots with him, or as payment, perhaps for freeing him. As they say, they are for hires, they're guns for hire. So they hail the Quorn leader on the other ship and they tell her that they've been hired by Mon Calamari to bring back the Mon Cala aboard their ship. Now this is kind of weird because Mon Cala and Quorn have been at war with one another for decades. They really hate each other, despite living on the same world. Now I also want to mention as the camera pans two axe woves inside the Imperial ship, we hear a somewhat similar tune to Luke's theme, reminding us of the season two Mandalorian finale where Luke came to save everyone in Grogu. The Quarren captain is harboring her boyfriend who is a Mon Calamari prince. So obviously we got, you know, two warring clans and somehow they found love, which is great. As he's escorted out by Cosco Reeves, he says, I thought Mandalorians were honorable. And she says, we are. All it takes is a few credits. So, okay, clearly these guys definitely are guns for hire. They're easily hired by Moff Gideon, I think, to free him as they will do anything if it pays well. And with Moff Gideon's bank account, I mean, uh, they're going to be paid extremely well. 
As Bo heads to Plazir 15 with Mando and Grogu, her ship is controlled by the planet's entry regulators and guided to the assigned path. Bo wants to, of course, speak to Axe Woves, that's why she's here, but the regulators are making her check in with them first. As they're told to scan their chain codes, it reminds me of when Boba showed us his in The Mandalorian Season 2 and how his suit of armor was connected to Jaster Mareel and Django. If you don't know about Jaster Mareel, I've made a few videos about him. Really cool guy. He trained Django Fett, kind of like a father figure to him, and he was part of the true Mandalorians. The tram forces them to speak with leaders of the planet, and we enter some royal party helmed by Jack Black and Lizzo. Personally, I think they could have gotten some better roles, but overall, any sort of celebrity takes me out of Star Wars as their fame overshadows their characters in the show. And this is one reason why George Lucas didn't put Michael Jackson in the prequel trilogy as Jar Jar Binks, because he felt that his stardom was just too powerful for the movie and just kind of takes you out of it. So they tell Mando and Bo that the droids of the city are malfunctioning and they hope to make Mandalore an allied planet if they end up helping them. So let's fast forward a bit. We meet the awesome Christopher Lloyd, who I love. And actually, you know, he did a great job in this show. I didn't I didn't feel taken out at all with him. And he's showing them all of the malfunctioning droids that get more and more dangerous. He says the citizens voted against shutting all of them off because the droids are the ones doing all the work. And this allows the people to just relax and chill. So this planet seems pretty interesting. He asks Bo and Din to go to lower levels to speak to the Ugnaughts. Now, of course, we remember Kuehl was an Ugnaught from season one. Bo asks why Din takes this so personally after he tells her this is what happens when you rely on droids. It's, of course, because he hates droids as he was in the Clone Wars. He was in the midst of the Separatist droid attack over his planet. And, of course, they killed his parents until he was saved by Death Watch. Mando tells the Ugnaughts that he knew Kuehl and so he gains their trust. The Ugnaughts are known to be the hardest workers and they don't make many mistakes when it comes to smithing and creating things. Mando asks for their help and they tell him the locations of the droids that they seek. So this is great. It's also cool that Kuehl was known galaxy-wide by all the Ugnaughts, or at least most of them it seems. He literally name-dropped him and got the meeting, gained their respect. So I guess Kuehl was really, you know, one of the best ones out there, or very highly respected. So they head to the assembly line of Super Battle Droids where, you know, they're all doing some work. And I gotta say, it's really cool to see them again. You know, while the episode was lackluster, I feel, it's always great seeing, you know, some Clone Wars reminiscence in there. So Din goes up to them, you know, starts shaking his hand in front of them, seeing which one will defect. And then he starts to kick them to see if any of them will get out of line. And after a few of them remain in line going back to work, one finally smacks the crap out of Din in the head as he runs super fast out of there, hurling objects at them. Now, I never knew that super battle droids could run so fast. I always thought they were just like slow and clanky. So I don't know if this is some sort of a reprogramming or what, but uh, we never saw this in the prequel trilogy, I don't think. So we get an iRobot type of scene here, and he runs through the city. And this reminds me of Attack of the Clones as Anakin and Obi-Wan ran after Zam Wessel in the streets of Coruscant. They play cat and mouse with the droid, and he hurls heavy objects at them as Mando takes a detour, cutting him off and putting him down with Bo. They search him and find a spark pad, which leads them to where they can find who planted it. 
the resistor. This is a bar for droids. So they head there and interrogate the droids, AKA Daft Punk. The Daft Punk bartender droid tells Bo and Din that, that they want to help find out why the droids are malfunctioning, as it's in their best interest, because if they don't, they'll be replaced by humans and sent to a scrapyard. He says some droids date back to the Separatists, but they've been reprogrammed. So they help Bo and Din with their questions, and the Daft Punk droid says, all droids here are served Nepenthe, which is a mechanical lubricant that prevents mechanical wear and tear. And this lubricant also delivers programming updates. So basically, it updates their patches for their firmware. He tells them all malfunctioning droids drank from the same batch of Nepenthe. So they go to the droid morgue and they take an isolated sample of Nepenthe in the super battle droid system. As they do this, the floating assistant droid, which is just a ball, goes absolutely rogue and tries to laser melt them all down until Din takes out his Darksaber and slices it in half. It's nice to see the Darksaber. I think this is like the second time we've seen it the whole season. He's still super slow and heavy with it, clearly not having found its way of movement like Bo-Katan. I would have liked to have seen him train more with it this season, but oh well. They analyze the sample on the computer and realize there's a chain code in the actual Nepenthe along with nanobots, which is weird. The chain code says it's originally manufactured by the Techno Union, and if you remember these guys, they were in the prequel trilogy, they had a lot of money, and they worked with Count Dooku, and their leader, Wat Tambor, was sliced down with Anakin's lightsaber on Mustafar during Order 66. Now, the man who ordered this Nepenthe was head of security, Commissioner Hellgate, Christopher Lloyd. Bo and Din tells him the jig is up, as they know he did it, so he threatens to hit the big red button, which is not a failsafe at all to shut the droids down. It's a switch to return all droids back to their battle droid state. He's revealed as a separatist who supports Count Dooku, calling him a visionary. And as he's about to mention Anakin Skywalker having killed Count Dooku, Bogutan zaps him and he falls over. They take him to the royalty, Jack Black and Lizzo, and he first insults them, saying, yeah, I definitely did it, and blames Jack Black's character on the reason why he did it. Then he turns a 180 on Lizzo and apologizes, asking for forgiveness. The entire mission is over and we spent the last 30 plus minutes on this when we have only three episodes left. Well, now technically only two. They get the key to Plazir 15 and are now in the good graces of the planet forever. So maybe Mandalore will, you know, be part of the New Republic or something like that or be recognized. And Grogu is also knighted. It seems like, you know, he's a Mandalorian Jedi Knight now. So it's just another perk for Grogu. Bo and Din head to see Axe Woves, and she's very nervous as she thinks that her clan are now loyal to him, which they are. She walks up to him and the rest of them as all of their ships are in a line. And they have a bit of a back and forth as she states that she comes to claim her fleet. And Axe Wolves won't step down. He likes leading. So she challenges him to a trial by combat. And this reminded me of Maul and Pre Vizsla. When Maul killed Pre Vizsla, Bo-Katan severed herself from Death Watch and went on to do her own thing. So Axe Wolves accepts the trial by combat. They fight. Long story short, Bo wins. And Axe Woves tells her that Din is the one that she should challenge to take the Darksaber from him. He also says that he doesn't have a drop of Mandalorian blood. So here, of course, we can clearly see the difference in Mandalorian sects. Din Djarin wasn't born on Mandalore or born from Mandalorian parents. And for this reason, Axe Woves deems him unworthy. It's the typical differences and petty fighting between Mandalorian sects. There's been tons of civil war and infighting on that planet for centuries. 
Bo defends Din Djarin and says he took the creed just like their ancestors before, you know, the night owls and axe wolves strayed into their own way, much like Death Watch. Axe mentions that he has the Darksaber, and Mando ends up offering it to Bo, which he's done before, and she says it doesn't work like that. So he tells the crowd that according to their rules, she does own it since when he was on Mandalore, he was beaten by, you know, the grievous droid thing, who then was beaten by Bo-Katan, technically making the Darksaber belong to Bo. It's a win on a technicality, and I know a lot of you guys called this when it actually happened in episode, I think it was three, or was it two? But it's just super lame in my opinion, because there's no way that droid thing was ever going to rule Mandalore with the blade. And also, he was barely even human. He didn't even know what the Darksaber was, nor did he even pay attention to it. Anyways, technically, it is hers, so Axe agrees and everyone straightens up, showing us that they're immediately respectful to her and recognize her as their leader. Now, she will bring them back with her to Navarro, I think, where then I believe Moff Gideon and the Empire will probably see his ship parked there, maybe tracking it, and show up, causing all sorts of problems for Mando. I think the Jedi to appear, if there will be one, could be Ahsoka leading us to the Ahsoka show. She probably wants to interrogate Moff Gideon to find out where Thrawn is, if he knows, which he should know, as he is a Moff, and in turn, where Ezra is. And I think this is of course going to be the premise of the Ahsoka show, which I hope is gonna be fantastic. So now Bo controls Mandalore and Mandalorians. This leaves me questioning the Mythosaur. Is she actually going to tame it? Is she going to ride it? Or is saying that you saw one enough to be the bridge for all Mandalorians? That'd be really lame if so. So this episode showed us that Count Dooku loyalists are still out there, very far and few in between, but they're still there. And so are droids, which are cool, and they're reprogrammed on random worlds to do good. Bo has the Darksaber now, through a very lazy way in my opinion, which Din honestly should have given it to her four episodes ago when she saved him. And I think Moff Gideon will probably return to his ship soon and wreak absolute havoc on Navarro. Overall, this episode I don't think should have been slotted for episode six of eight. I think time is of the essence at this point, and really in this season, nothing all that substantial has really happened. It's been a lot of just side quests. And for The Mandalorian, you know, this being a major show for Star Wars, I was expecting more. You know, we were led to believe with season one and season two that a lot happened, a lot went down, and the overall story was very linear. There was always a overarching nemesis, antagonist, Moff Gideon, the Empire. And in this one, we don't get any of that until the end of episode five. And then uh, to follow up on it, absolutely nothing happens. Episode six is just some sort of a runaway mission that no one really wanted. Again, the episode would have been okay, tolerable, especially with, of course, Christopher Lloyd and, you know, the Separatist droids. But maybe if it was like in a episode three kind of slot at the latest. Then again, there really isn't much point for this kind of episode. We need to follow more of the Mandalorian and what he's doing and his goal to, I guess, train Grogu. See, it was interesting before because Grogu had this whole story that he needed to be saved from the Empire who was trying to do run experiments on him. And then, of course, for him to be reunited with his people, which, of course, Yoda's people. I mean, that's so interesting. Or also just Jedi. And it was really cool to go along that journey. But now I feel like, you know, everything's kind of done and everyone's safe. And there isn't really any sort of threat. 
And if there is, it should have been established, I think, in, you know, episode two or three at the latest. But with episode five announcing that Moff Gideon is still out there and he's free from jail, and then not follow up on episode six is just kind of a letdown and we're all just wondering, you know, how many more years are we going to have to wait until season four? I hope it's just one, but you never know with these shows. I don't think the pacing of this season is really all that great. I think it was very fast in the beginning, very slow at the end, or at least slow throughout here. Kind of filling in gaps where they just maybe don't want to have substantial episodes where things actually happen. I don't think there is all that much direction. So I'm really hoping that episode 7 and 8 will actually be quite interesting and keep us excited. Because as of right now, uh, I see a lot of the comments saying otherwise. Let me know what you thought of this episode. I hope I broke it down as best as I could to your liking. Let me know if I left anything out. And of course, I will make a follow-up video on it. Leave a like on this video and I'll catch you guys in the next one. Until then, remember, my fellow Jedi and Sith friends, the Force will be with you always.